0: Hey everybody, what's up, Sagi here. And before you listen to this episode, I just wanted to let you know that the Hacking UI podcast, while we still have a lot of downloads for our podcast, is a legacy podcast, meaning David and I are not recording any more sessions for the specific podcast. So what you can do right now is, first of all, listen to this episode. And second, know that you can find David on thoughtleaders.io. That's his new business. Or you can check out my new podcast, which is called The Creativepreneur Show. And you can just go to creativepreneurmagazine.com or creativepreneur.show. So those are the two domains that you would be able to find. My show, my new blog, my new community. And I hope uh, to see you there. Also, be sure to follow David Tintner and Sagi Schreiber on Instagram. We're both on Instagram. I'm also on YouTube. So you can check out the YouTube channel if you want to check out YouTube. Enough with my talking, oh my God. So anyways, I hope you guys though connect with me and David on the different platforms after this episode. All right, make sure to do so because we have so much new content for you. And enjoy guys, enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of the Hacking UI podcast, Scaling a Design Team. And I'm Sagi Schreiber. And I'm David Sintner. Today we're recording from Facebook headquarters in Tel Aviv. And today we have two special guests with us. We have Noam Lis, Senior Product Designer at SimilarWeb. Hello. And we are here with Melissa Hodge, Design Manager at Facebook. Hey, Melissa. Hello. So, Melissa, how are you today?
1: I'm very well. How are you, Sagi? Oh, good.
0: I guess we'll start by just asking a bit about your background. How you got to being a designer? How you got to being on Facebook?
1: Sure. So, I've been a designer since about oh, this is going to reveal exactly how old I am. I've been a designer since about 1998, and uh, I didn't intend to be a designer. I actually in College, I was a theater major, so I learned how to design sets and costumes and actually worked as a scenic artist for some time. But um, I have to tell you this theater is a wonderful profession, and at the time when I graduated from college, it didn't pay anything (laughs) so rather than live out of my parents basement in 1998 if you could fog a mirror and operate photoshop you had a job and (laughs) uh (laughs) i had done some html and programming in uh high school and uh i had kind of kept it up as just something fun in college and uh, what
0: did you do what kind of stuff did you do
1: dumb websites (laughs) okay an art gallery for my high school cat gifts No, this was well before (laughs) cat GIFs. Like when I started, we were using Netscape and Mosaic as our browsers. And midway through my senior year of high school, there was a new release of Netscape where you could put backgrounds on your web pages. That was exciting. (laughs) So we're talking really old school here. No cat GIFs yet. But uh, so I had done some of that. And um, I ended up moving to Boston and getting a job making, started out making like banner ads. And actually a a couple of menu systems for like CD-ROMs for a company that I was contracting for. And then I ended up at this company where they were making private label shopping experiences on the web. So like at that time, monetizing all of your web traffic was all the rage. But not very many people knew how to do that or what that meant. So they were like, well, we'll just sell things to people. That seems like a good way to make money.
0: Sell on the internet.
1: Right. We'll sell things on the internet because internet shopping is really big. Different companies would come to the company that I was working for and ask us to build a store for them and merchandise it. And so there I got to work on an Online shopping cart, you know, the process, like, after you've selected your purchases, how do you check out and pay for them and tell the system where you want it shipped? And I just found that I had an aptitude for it. It kind of united a lot of the things that I loved about theater and technical theater, like serious problem-solving, tough technical constraints, an audience, uh, something you need to convey. It's just the medium was different. Yeah.
0: And then how did you evolve since then, like, to eventually... Uh, getting your job at Facebook
1: yeah so I did a lot of different things <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so I worked on those shopping experiences for a little while I did some contracting like I did some work on this was okay more showing how old I am do you remember Lotus one two three do you ever heard you heard that? of that um, yeah of I was like the original Excel I actually worked for them very briefly worked on their home page And then I worked at an agency where I did some content management systems and some financial company websites. And uh, then I spent probably the most formative experience I had was designing medical software, actually, on the web. So electronic medical records and women's health records. Uh, I spent about um, two and a half years doing that.
2: When you said designing medical software, were you designing interfaces? or yes. Okay, yeah. Very cool.
1: So I was working for a company that was a medical software company in and of itself, but we were also working with another pretty big medical software company to redesign all of their software offerings and into a single system that would be on hosted on the web. So it was a pretty big undertaking, and it involved creating a whole new design language. So there were four other designers and myself. I was by no means the most senior designer there, so it was very much a learning experience and. What I love about design is going into new domains where you don't have any of the knowledge about the domain. So like, I'm not a doctor, I don't know anything about medicine, but suddenly I need to go in and learn as much as I can to figure out what's important to doctors and what helps them do their job better and translate that into software ui it
0: sounds like an interesting field also to learn about doctors and feeling that you're doing some kind of design for that actually means something yeah so and also when you say you were uh, the senior designer there that means you started already kind of managing over there or not oh no uh, i was
1: by no means the senior designer there okay. i was very much a junior designer i didn't have like i had done a lot of stuff in the past but i you know i think the difference between a Junior designer and a senior designer really is like, do you have repeatable process? Do you have a way of framing the work that you do that allows you to come into different situations and make them successful each time d- despite how different they might be and uh, you know at that time, I really didn't have that framework, so I was just kind of bumbling through like I would <laughs> come into a situation and just kind of try to do my thing if I you know, the first few things that I tried didn't work. Then I would try something else, but I didn't have like a framing for like, what is design process or how do you take on a larger project? So that was a dramatic learning experience and how to do that exactly.
2: Yeah. I think that's the perfect segue into why we're here is trying to answer these questions. What is the design process and how do you make it repeatable? Yeah. Can you give us some of your biggest takeaways from your time there?
1: Yeah. No project is the same no iteration within a single product is even the same so like if you do version 1.0 and then you're like okay now it's time for 2.0 and if you expect it to go exactly the same way that 1.0 went you're going to be very very disappointed so instead you need to break your work into some like fundamental building blocks and then figure out how you can accomplish those building blocks in each segment And for each product and with the different people that you're working with and the timeframes that you're working with and the goals that you're working with.
0: Jumping into Facebook, when did you start at Facebook and how much time did it take before you became a design manager?
1: Yeah, so I started at Facebook in August. Yeah, it was August of 2014. (laughs) (laughs) So I still feel pretty new, even though it's been almost a year and a half.
0: Probably like 700 employees came in by then to Facebook. So you're already like a veteran. No, I'm just saying.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the company does grow incredibly rapidly, definitely faster than any other company I've been at. So, how did I become a design manager? That was your second question. Yeah. I hit this point. So, I worked at Apple for about seven and a half years, and I worked on a couple of different. By the way, just a <laughs> Apple, so I mean, a years. Apple was after the medical software, <laughs> after I had gone through that crucible. And uh, midway through some of my time at Apple, I realized, and actually I have to attribute this to some of this to my husband, who observed that some days I would come home really energized and some days I would come home really in the pits and some days I would just be, you know, kind of normal, not great, not not awful. And he started asking me about that. And he made me realize that the days when I came home really energized were the days when I had helped the whole team come to the whole product team or another designer come to a better outcome and be happy about what they were doing. The days when I was in the dumps were the days when I had failed to do that. I had tried and failed. And the days that were just kind of eh were the days that I was sitting at my desk just doing design. <laughs> and that kind of made me realize that my the place where I I'm... I enjoy solving problems like that's kind of my if I had that purpose in life, I guess that's kind of like my fundamental purpose. (laughs) In the right (laughs) field. And for a long time, the problems that really made me energized and excited to go to work every day were the software problems. Like, how do I present books to people? How do we solve these media encoding problems? How do I make sure that the doctor has all the information at their fingertips and isn't overwhelmed? Or how can I make sure that they they have are are able to record the information that they they are required to record by law without distracting them from the patient that's actually in front of them, right? Those were the problems that I loved to solve for a long time, but then suddenly it became clear that I actually liked people problems more than that. Okay as long as they were still related to design and products. (laughs) And so that's where I kind of realized I wanted to make a change. And I looked around within Apple and there weren't good opportunities for me to do that because I didn't know what I was doing, right? I I had never led a team before, led a design team. I had led cross-functional teams as a lead designer, but leading a design team is a pretty different Mm ballgame. And I needed somebody to take a risk on me. So I found a startup where I could make a difference in the product and they were willing to take a risk on me learning to be a leader okay. um, and uh, it worked out
2: really well. So I'd like to actually stop you right here and ask about, you say you were leading cross functional teams and mm-hmm. then your switch was to leading a design team. Yeah. Can you kind of explain the the organizational setup that is going on now in Facebook or that you're leading?
1: So basically. My team is the core growth design team. So we're the team that's responsible for connecting the next billion people to Facebook. No big deal. Yeah. Just <laughs> a small number, we'll be done really soon. <laughs> It'll be cool. <laughs> so we within that, we we split that up into a couple of different things. Like On the one hand, we think about Facebook and the different pieces of Facebook, and we own or are responsible for the different pieces of Facebook that are most impactful for bringing new people on. So some of that's obvious, like registration, and some of it's less obvious, like friending, how you actually connect to other people, because if you don't connect to the right people for you, Facebook's not a very fun place to be. So in addition to product verticals, we also look at those next billion people and we try to connect with them on the devices and connections and in the languages where they really are. So on the one hand, we're looking at verticals. On the other hand, we're looking at Facebook as a total product and how to make sure we're delivering it very efficiently to those people.
2: So what kind of positions are on on this team? Are there designers, developers, product managers? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So there are designers, developers, and product managers. (laughs) There are product specialists. We also have content strategists and UX researchers and growth marketers and data analysts.
2: And what's the total size of the team?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I don't have the total number (laughs) on the top of my head. (laughs) But I can tell you that the size of my design team right now is 10 designers.
0: 10 designers, and that means... Those designers are split within different Agile teams or how how are they split?
1: We're split within different product teams. And while I wouldn't call our process waterfall, it's also not strict by the books Agile either. So the great part about Facebook is that we're not prescriptive about how each product team should work. Each product team has the ability to choose their working methodology okay. um, and find what works best for them.
0: As a product team? As a product team, like a product team yeah. Okay. Cross-functioning product. Yes, that's right. So
1: generally, each team works on fast iterations, rapid response as much as possible. But then there are other product teams that are working on, like, for example, new products or things where you can't do rapid release. So they're able to choose the best way to work.
2: Where are your deadlines or end of iterations coming from? Who's setting those uh, needs? The
1: teams themselves. I mean, sometimes the deadlines come externally. It needs to align with something that's happening in the rest of the company, or we are trying for an aggressive goal and we set a date that we want to hit that aggressive goal by. But for the most part, it's up to the teams.
0: And when you say teams, who in the team has the final voice about those deadlines and about, you know, what are the goals of the team? (laughs)
1: Ideally it's a collaborative decision, but generally it's the product manager who's leading the decision-making process.
0: Okay, so I'm kind of curious as, of how to you said you're here right now in Facebook uh, Tel Aviv because you guys came here together to determine what is your roadmap for the next quarter mm-hmm. and you have uh, brainstorming brainstorming sessions about that, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm really curious how do you get to what is the roadmap for the next quarter and how do you make this process collaborative? you are a design manager. So you're inside those discussions as well, I guess. So I guess a lot of other management come into those discussions. How do you do that while, because management all the time, they have a kind of like the vision of what the product they want it to be. So how do, how can the management give the product team enough space to decide on their own, mm-hmm. because you guys probably have vision, you have like uh, so do you stop yourself from saying like uh, what you think as much as you can, uh, but how do you do it?
1: That's a great question, and it's a fine line between being uh, supportive versus prescriptive okay. or directive yeah. as a manager. But I think the best, way, the best way to tell you how we accomplish that is just to talk a little bit about the roadmapping process, because it's, it embodies the way that we do bottom-up product work at Facebook. Mm-hmm. Right? And Facebook is definitely the most bottom-up grassroots-based company, product company I've worked at. Mm-hmm. Most of the other places that I've worked at, we are getting a lot of directives from, from our leadership about what the product should be and what features we should be taking on. yeah. Um, but that happens pretty rarely at Facebook. Instead, really? the teams are given the leeway, like, here's your goal. Let's try to get this many new people on um, okay. within the next six months, for example.
0: And that comes from the management up top? Okay. or
1: it's It's a combination, actually. It's like looking at, we try to guess where we would be at if mm. we're not building new things and increase that, of course. So usually that's within the team where we're figuring that out. Yeah. Um, and sometimes management be, would be like, are you being as aggressive as you could be? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. They, they push you yeah. to, to set higher goals, yeah. but they're not saying this is the absolute number that we need to hit. Okay. Um. So we try to follow a process that we call, that roughly fits into three buckets. So understand, identify, and execute. Right? So... Mm-hmm. This is predicated on the idea that if you don't understand the problem that you're trying to solve, then you're not going to be able to solve it in the right way. Okay. So once we have some goals or we have a rough strategy for what we want to accomplish, then we try to identify different themes that will help us get to that goal or that strategy. And then once we have themes, we can go off and brainstorm ideas that fit within those themes. We try to generate as many of those as possible within a relatively fixed period of time. And then we take those ideas and we go off and look at them. And where we can stick estimates, numeric estimates, to to help us get to our goals on them, we try to do that. We try to scope what those ideas might be. And then also we need to talk about how much effort they might be, how long it will take for them to get us there, what are the risks. And then we prioritize those ideas. So... Usually the themes are developed based on our understanding of what's currently going on in the system. So we do a lot of quantitative and qualitative research into our own systems where we try to understand what the patterns of usage are. We try to understand the problems that users are having, Having we look for opportunities in the numbers and the qualitative problems that users are happening. And we use having, and then we use those to generate the themes.
2: Can you give us a a ballpark figure of how much time you're allotting to this kind of understand and identify phase?
1: Well, so ideally it's happening all the time. Okay. Um, But uh, the understand has to keep happening all the time because otherwise you're going to miss things. If you only check in with yourself periodically, then like if you only check in with yourself once a quarter or once a half, then there's, so much room for things that you're not expecting to happen. So, you have measurements happening on your systems to make sure that nothing is going horrifically wrong. But then you also have, like, a generally you have a list of, we call them descriptive analyses, where we're going through all of our data and trying to understand what's happening there and not trying to ask specific questions of the data, but instead understand the patterns that are happening in the data. Let the data lead us to the right conclusions. So we have a kind of a cadence of those descriptive analysis that we try to take on.
2: I think one of the things that, one of the most difficult things that we deal with is that we, we always find ourselves cutting out this understanding phase mm-hmm. because we have to meet a deadline or yeah. we have to get somewhere at a certain point, even though we all know it's an important phase, but how do you, how is it so widely spread throughout the entire company that you don't have to cut out this phase that you, everyone understands that this is so important.
1: Well, sometimes it's easy to get excited about something or to get a sense of urgency that causes you to skip. And that's where, this is where I think the role of management comes in, where if you come and say, hey, Melissa, this is the project that we're working on and I can ask you the question, how do you know that this is the right problem to solve? Right, And if I'm consistently asking you that question, then you're gonna be more prepared with the answers,
2: right? This is amazing. You're saying basically in your in the organization here the managers are essentially the ones who are pushing the the, the de- designers, developers, product managers going back to the thinking phase. That's right. Wow, it's it's such a opposite effect because I feel a lot of times in lots of organizations we've talked to in our own organization from the bottom you have people that want to spend more time planning and more time researching mm-hmm. and they're not given the time by the management because they have to meet the deadlines.
1: Yeah. I mean, we still have we still have goals that we're trying to reach and those are usually time-based. So I'm still trying to push you to meet those goals within that time. But if you go off and build the wrong product to meet that goal, you're not going to meet
2: the goal. Then you won't. It's not going right. to be successful anyway. That's
1: right.
2: Mm. I, I would like to
0: go back to the product teams that you're talking about. I, I know that this podcast is about scaling a design <laughs> team. We're getting into <laughs> team <laughs> structures. <Did you> <laughs> yeah, I mean... I mean, we're going a, a bit of different route, but yeah. I think it's important. So the product teams themselves, do everyone have access to the tools that can give you qualitative and quantitative data, meaning the Google Analytics of Facebook and uh, you know whatever tools you have? Yeah. Um, how does it work?
1: Everyone has access to them, and there are periodic classes where you can go learn how to use them. Okay. Um, but that said, learning to use them is non-trivial. I personally know only how to do very very rudimentary things in those tools and mostly rely on other people to look at that to pull that data and do the diving
0: uh, is it is it the data yeah. analyst that does this or the UX researcher who does this
1: Sometimes yeah. it's d- some of the designers are very motivated to do their own data mining mm-hmm. we also have data analysts and growth marketers who do a lot of the data mining our engineers are also quite fluent with the data tools so one common one common feature of the product process on growth is um, we run a lot of experiments, for example. Mm-hmm. and while there are a lot of people who are very experienced pulling data from pulling data from the tool, actually figuring out whether this data is working, like is this the right is, is this a good result for this test is harder than you might think. It's often not 100% clear. And so a lot of our product teams have experiment analysis meetings where the people who are, have run experiments within their own da- domain come to meet with the data analyst and their growth marketer, and they show the experiments and they show the results, and then they talk together about what whether this experiment is successful and whether it should launch or whether we need to do another iteration or whether we should kill it.
3: Um, I have a question about, you mentioned all these different meetings and different stakeholders and people. I find that in our company a lot of times we're growing rapidly and there's so many different people that at the end it's just a whole bunch of meetings and then maybe as a designer i have an hour a day to actually sit on the computer and actually get some work done mm. most of the time just chasing down meetings getting information to so many different people with important information that i want i was wondering how you actually get work done in an efficient way <laughs> when there's so many people to talk to and stuff to learn and stuff to do
1: that is a totally legitimate question and i think so on the one hand the burden is kind of on you to make sure that you have the information that you need but that you're also not um, spending time in meetings that are not meaningful to you okay. so like you need to be aware this meeting that, my, that i'm in is it kind of a bummer is it like is it actually giving me value or is it just like am i just sitting here uh, noodling around on my phone while other people talk about things that I don't care about.
0: Right. Can anyone just get up in the middle of the meeting and leave? Is it something acceptable even? <laughs> or, or like, I mean
1: well, that, w- that would probably be a little bit rude, but it's totally yeah. legitimate to to say, hey, folks, do we need to have this meeting right now? Or okay. is this a discussion that we could solve in another venue? Can we solve it in a group or via an email thread? Or can we take this offline? Can everybody go take their action items and then we'll come back to the group when we've got them accomplished? Some meetings are generally, if you've got a small group of three people that are working on a product, daily scrums are very efficient. You can probably accomplish one in five minutes. If you have an engineering team of 26 people, a daily scrum is going to take you an hour. It's no longer the right way to do things, right? So avoid giving, avoid lengthy status meetings because status, like me telling you what I'm doing and you telling everybody else what you're doing when only a few people actually care, it's only relevant to a few people, that's not a good use of time. Right. Right. And personally, as someone who runs a lot of meetings, if you tell me that my meeting is not valuable to you, that is excellent feedback that I need to hear. Right. Right. Because I don't want to run a bummer of a meeting.
3: Right. I probably should have done that. I just stopped going to like 80% of the meetings in our like agile team because I realized it wasn't giving me anything and I actually had stuff I wanted to do. Yeah. But I probably should have told somebody about that.
1: Yeah, you probably should have said yeah. like, hey, yeah. um, is it cool? I, I I, don't think I'm really needed for this meeting. I'm not getting a lot of value out of it. Right. Um, is it cool if I don't show I up? I try to walk up for yeah. the
3: first five minutes and say, do anybody need me for something? Right. And they'd say, maybe no later, take it offline. And then I turn around and walk away. Yeah. In a good way. Yeah, that's
1: that seems legit to me. Another thing that we do is we have, no meeting Wednesdays.
2: Uh, I've heard about this. Okay, we've we've actually tried no meeting Sundays on our on our work
1: here. No, they're not totally sacred, especially for me as a as a manager. Most of my job is talking to people, so for me, no meeting Wednesday is actually less meeting Wednesday. But uh, <laughs> I try to make it. I try to make sure that if I'm scheduling meetings on Wednesday, that I either have the permission of the person that I'm scheduling the meeting with to be like, hey, I'm about to interrupt your Wednesday. Is that okay? Or I'm meeting with other managers whose Wednesdays are screwed anyways.
2: (laughs) I I think one of the biggest takeaways I already have from our talk is you said that every product team is able to work the way that they feel that they should work. And you gave the example of a three-person team, a daily is effective, 26-person it's not. And this is something that I think we really need to start implementing because... We have lots of different sizes teams that are doing different things with different roles on each team, yeah. but the entire organization tries to go as if it's a cookie cutter model that each team should do a daily at this time, should right. do a retrospective at this time. And I think what you're trying to say is that this is, there is no one way. There is no
1: one true way. No, there isn't. Here's an example from my, my design team right now. We have, I mentioned that we have 10 designers plus me. That's 11 people. We work on a vast collection of different projects, Not all of which are relevant to each other. Some of them are quite divergent. Up until now, we've had biweekly critiques, so Tuesdays and Thursdays, where we share our work with each other and try to get it to... um, So a design critique is obviously one of the fastest ways that we can make our designs better, right? But in order to be efficient with that, generally speaking, the people that you're presenting presenting your work to need to have a certain amount of context about yeah. your project. So either they already have that inherently or you need to spend the time giving them that context. So when you have 10 people presenting work on divergent projects, all of a sudden you're spending a lot of time and critique giving context as opposed to actually talking about the work. So we're at this point now where two critiques a week with everybody at it is not really working anymore. So mm-hmm. as a design team, we're going to need to decide the best way to change our process. Uh,
0: can I can I just go back and and... Well, we're talking so much about the product teams working together yeah. seamlessly, and now you're talking about design critiques as a design team. Yes, and that's something that, like, I, I would like to ask you: How do you do it in Facebook? Meaning, like, how do the designers feel part of the design team? Yeah. And w- can we talk about a bit more about how do you make them feel like a design team as well, and what kind of activities you guys do together to make you feel that way?
1: Yeah, in terms of recurring activities. We have a couple, we have, we have three standing recurring activities that we meet face-to-face every week. Currently, as I mentioned, we're going to start changing some of this. So on Mondays, and this is actually, actually, this is a product of change. When I first started on this team, we, there were five of us.
0: Okay.
1: Right. Not 10, five. So we were able to have a Monday morning, essentially stand up where we talked about what we were going to do for the week. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that bad because everybody kind of knew what was going on with everybody else. And it was a brief, like maybe 20 minute meeting. But as we grew, I started watching the people. uh, Like, (laughs) so everyone would be be on their laptops. Like one person is talking uh, about what they're about to do and everybody else is on their laptops, not paying attention
0: that was so like that's what happened with us <laughs> <laughs> but we, we wanted to do dailies so we uh, we said okay let's meet everyone we have five designers yeah uh yeah. and and then <laughs> the last the last daily remember I, I told you Noam, I, I told you uh wait you're on your laptop like doesn't that interest like and people like it's not interesting to everyone mm-hmm. like what everyone's doing so yeah i can connect to that really it's, it's true
1: so let me ask you what was the purpose of your dailies
0: I think the purpose of the dailies was to sync everyone and what everyone is doing on that day because we have such rapid change of projects that everyone can just get a project from day to day, especially the marketing designers. Mm-hmm. We have two marketing designers. And also I want to sync everyone because sometimes marketing designers are working on some kind of a collateral or anything like that that is relevant to something that the product designer is working on right. and they're not in sync. So I want everybody to sync together and I wanted me to also be be on top of what my designers are doing because people from all around come in and change their assignments, which right. I don't know of. And that's something I, r- I really find hard doing. Like, it's keeping track of my designer's tasks. It's it's hard for me to do because I'm not the one that you know manages their tasks. It's the product teams. It's the marketing teams. Yeah. And I'm just there to like, oh, what you what are you doing? Oh, okay. But if they if they're late for their deadline, I get the you're fire. On the hook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how to deal with that. That's something I guess. Uh,
1: okay, so that's the value. That's what you're trying to get out of it. What's the expensive part about daily meetings?
0: Time. Time. Super expensive. Yeah and also i guess it's 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 time and it's feeling of the team mm-hmm. that they they don't feel like it's doing anything good for them it's not motivational for them yeah so if it's not motivational for them i guess that's expensive for me
1: how can you get that value in some other way
0: so we tried slack channels where we share designs uh mm-hmm. we said okay i i talked to um i talked to Floris decker design manager at etsy mm-hmm. uh, he has a, a great blog, a little uh, little big details, mm-hmm. and so. Anyways, I talked to him when I was in New York, and he told me they have a Slack channel, and the designers share at least once a day. Desi- uh, w- s- what they're working on right now like a screenshot or whatever and that works great for them and i thought we should try it here instead of the delis but then we're at a situation where the slack channel is just, just like dead <laughs> 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 like ghosts. like the only the slack bot's like what's up guys
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that why did doesn't it work why did it die it died because nobody uploads their designs and everybody's busy with their own stuff
1: why doesn't anyone... Sorry, I keep like... So, yeah. so we're going to get to something here, I think. Okay. Why, why does nobody upload their designs?
0: Because I think they're really busy with what they're doing and they don't want to share designs in the middle.
1: Yeah, okay. I want to take you back to what you originally said about yeah. your, the purpose of your stand-up, yeah. which was to have a good sense for what everybody's up to, right? Yeah. You don't need to see the designs every day to know what everybody's up necessarily up to, mm-hmm. but you do need to know kind of what people expect to be working on that day okay. so one of the things that we did for a little while and even this is starting to not work for us so <laughs> was every monday instead of having that um stand up where we would talk about what we were doing for the week we started so we use facebook groups uh-huh. you know dog fooding, <laughs> <laughs> dog fooding <you> know. <laughs> so we have a group for our design team you're talking about
0: facebook at work Uh huh.
1: Oh. well no no actually oh. we're just using regular facebook oh okay um so I mean, we are using regular Facebook at work. Yeah, you know what I mean, right? <laughs> yeah. So we have a Facebook group where, that all the design team uh, are members of. And I would ask every Monday morning, what are you working on this week? Mm-hmm. And people would reply in the comments. Just okay. quick bullet list. This is what I think I'm doing. right? Okay. So it was great for a while and it worked really well for a while. But now it's not like I've noticed that our participation is dropping off. Mm-hmm. People don't have the time to think through that or they, they aren't getting value from it at all. Only I was getting value from it. So now we're going to need to flip that around somehow, right? So yeah. that not only am I getting value out of it, but everybody else is getting value out of it. Yeah. So... After we made that change, we took our half an hour on Monday mornings where we were originally standing up and talking at, at people who were actually staring at their laptops yeah. and just started going out for coffee together. Okay. So we go out for coffee, we, well we stay in for coffee, there's a coffee <laughs> shop in the Facebook campus. So we go to the coffee shop in the Facebook yeah. campus yeah. and we all get a coffee and we sit down and we talk about nothing. <laughs> just like we, we talk about our weekends, we talk about stupid Pusheen dolls, that's a big topic lately. There's one of Pusheen, so you know the Pusheen stickers on Messenger. Okay, never mind. Don't worry. <laughs> this is deep nerd territory, no, folks. Actually, yeah, I do, actually, uh, now, uh, now that you mention mm-hmm. it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we we talk about things that are inconsequential to work, but as mm-hmm. a result, we actually feel more like a team. Okay. And we feel like we know each other, okay. which you know, building trust between between your team members so that you can say something harsh, mm-hmm. like you know, I don't think this design is actually solving the right problem. That's a harsh piece of feedback. Yeah. That yep. you need to be able to say but if you feel like giving that comment is going to destroy your relationship with that person because you either don't have one or it's so fragile and tenuous that you you can't say it suddenly your design team is less effective right mm-hmm. yeah so half an hour on mondays just with coffee has helped with that
0: okay so it it helps with building the team as a team mm-hmm. but how do you how do you manage your designers tasks i mean there's something that's so hard for me how do you manage their tasks in a way that When you come up to, I don't know, like to to a review at the end of the quarter or whatever with your manager, like, okay, my designers were, you know, Mm -hmm. doing their tasks, of course. (laughs) Yeah. How how do you get to that point?
1: Should you be managing your designer's tasks?
0: Ah, Great question. Great questions. I, I believe every designer should be independent in a way. And they should work together with the product teams. And the product teams have their goals. I shouldn't be managing their goals. Um, I should be there to mentor my designers and to make sure they're motivated and that the processes are working. I'm not sure I should be managing their deadlines at all. I don't know.
1: Yeah, because you probably don't have the right context for their deadlines. You can ask them questions to make sure that they're setting those deadlines aggressively enough or to make sure that they're realistic. But you probably don't have the right context to be like, I think this should happen on next Friday. Like, you should be able to deliver all this next Friday. Sometimes you might. Like, if you're close to the project, you might. Or, so, here's another question for you. What's the difference between managing a, like, managing the workload for a junior designer versus a senior designer? Someone who's new versus someone who's been at it for a long time.
0: (laughs) I guess that with a junior designer, you have to kind of be more in touch with and make sure that he knows and he's aware of the deadlines and also that he knows what he's doing and that you have to educate a junior designer on the process itself because the junior designers don't pretty much know about the process.
1: That's right. For me, I want all my designers to be autonomous within a particular scope. The difference between a junior and senior designer is what scope I expect them to be autonomous within. Mm -hmm. Right. So a junior designer... I can give them a pretty small scoped project, like a small feature or a set of corrections to a feature or even just cutting assets. And I expect them to be autonomous within that scope,
3: right?
0: Okay.
1: Senior designer, I expect to be able to give them an entire product domain and have them be autonomous within that scope, right? Yeah. So... (laughs) For you, like as as you're building your design team, you need to gauge the confidence of your designers and also like what level of experience that they have, where they can be autonomous. Right now. I, I'm not saying that your designer that your your manager is not going to be up in your business about getting your stuff done, because that's not that's not the, that's not right. But you should be setting your own deadlines, and your manager should be responsible for setting the guidelines for how you should approach that, okay. um, and also holding you accountable for actually reaching them.
3: Okay. A question kind of related to that was I was wondering how much of like, the time that you have with your designers use you um, giving them like design critique or art directing them. And how much is just more guiding them through the process of the company, making sure deadlines are met, stuff that's more like managerial mm-hmm. stuff and not really design stuff.
1: Again, it depends on how how experienced those designers are. I would also add that there's a third piece to the puzzle here for an effective manager, which is talking about what you want out of your work life. So ooh, talking ooh, about ooh, career ooh. development ooh. and growth, right? Yeah, yeah that was right? my next question. That was <laughs> my next question.
0: So we said on the fact that, on the understanding that a design manager should not be dealing with the deadlines themselves. But the problem is when I don't have like any control of the deadlines in a way, I still want my designers to now evolve as, as, a, yeah. as a designer. Like, you know, the professional life and now let's say for for now we we i want them to learn code okay i want my designers to learn code yeah at least html css and we got this course online and i want to give them time to do that i want to give them time to write articles yeah and i wanted to give them time to uh, prepare dribble shots and uh, again feeling like a team that we're a design team and everybody's growing in that team and can can write about the process and 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 basically get themselves out there so I'm finding it hard to tell them, okay, here's like, take like three hours or half a day, like once a week and do that. But they're like, yeah, but I have deadlines from my product manager, from my product team. We have crazy deadlines to meet. We can't do that right now. And then like product manager kind of like sees them doing online courses on HTML, CSS in the middle of the week. Sometimes they would be like, what are you doing? Like we have a deadline. Why, why are you messing with online courses right now?
1: Ah, So now you're talking about air cover. So part of your role as a manager is to carve out that space, carve out those expectations with the cross-functional team, right? Okay. So you should be talking to those product managers so they know what's up. Like, hey, do you want your designer to be more effective? That's awesome. They're going to need some time to take this class, right? So that's a big part of what your
2: role is. Can you give us some more insight into how your you as a manager are dealing with this cross-functional team and how the designers are supposed to interact with developers and product managers.
1: So I'm not sure there's a, I could, there are so many things I could say there. (laughs) Um, How the designers are expected to interact with product managers. How do you interact with your product managers and your developers?
3: Hmm. It it really depends on um, the type of person in a way. Yeah. I think if you're, If you're willing to collaborate with other people and you take it as an opportunity to learn and build a better product, then I think it works very well. And I think I've had experiences that were very, very good in certain teams. In some teams, I think some people are more focused on maybe themselves or less on the product or on the user. And sometimes that can be a matter of you have to carve out your own space. And at the end of the day, it might be less fun, but it hurts the product probably Mm -hmm. the, the most.
2: Yeah. I think one of the most difficult things is kind of allowing people to transcend their their. Literal job uh, description, and give feedback on a different area, or collaborate in a different area. Yeah. I know I, I'm a developer, and a lot of times I meet with a product manager, and I want to give them, you know, product feedback, or I meet with a designer, and I want to give them designer feedback. But it's a very, very fine line to walk on because, you know, they're the designer, I'm the developer. We mm-hmm. each have a um, specific job description, and walking over this description is kind of a uh, like walking on eggshells.
1: So. If I came to you and said, I see a problem with this current implementation, what do you think is the right solution? Does that make you feel like I'm giving you the room to give me the answer that reveals your expertise?
2: Hmm. Are you suggesting it's the way that you ask the question? Mm -hmm. Maybe coming with a solution or suggesting some alternatives instead of just... Pointing out the problem
1: well or? actually i 'm suggesting the opposite, okay, which is like, hey, so I was thinking about this, and i 'm not sure that this is right here 's where I see the problems. What do you think?
2: Uh, I see okay, right. Let them come up with the solution mm-hmm. the The person with the domain expertise come up with a solution, and you point out that maybe we need to stop and think again or right. revisit something
1: and like once the conversation is started and they 're actively engaged on the problem, then you can start tossing solutions back and forth. well, what about this? well, what about this Well. You know, and and you're both evaluating the possibilities of those. But if I don't respect your expertise in your role, right, I'm going to come to you both with the problem and solution identified, and I'm just going to ask you to execute. Mm -hmm. Right. So, hey, here's the problem. I think we need to do it this way. I don't care what you think you just need to execute,
2: right? And this is such a tough way to work. It doesn't lead to anyone's best work.
1: Well, it means you don't grow, right? Because you're not actively solving problems. Your brain is not engaged, so you're probably bored. Also, you feel like you're not the boss of me, even if you are, Um, (laughs) right? So that is a really uh, non-engaging work environment when you aren't able to engage with other people on how to solve the problems. So I think no matter who someone's, I think the, the first step is to be aware of what someone's role is and what their expertise should be so that you can ask them the right questions and leave them room to come up with answers that are different than what you, are, what you would come up with because you don't have the expertise, right? So uh, if you had the expertise, then sure you can come up with the solution, but if you are not a data analyst or not a developer or not a designer, then you should give them the room provide the right solution. I,
2: I think this is one of the hardest things to maintain um, this type of work environment on yeah. the cross-functional team as you scale. Yeah, I know uh, at SimilarWeb, when we joined, we were a company of 40 people. So I was the developer on the team, but I was sitting next to the product manager, and across the hall was mm-hmm. the salespeople who were talking directly to the clients, and everyone was getting feedback on every aspect. Right. And as we've grown, and as these, let's say, the Horizontal teams, the uh, design team or the development team, has grown itself. Mm-hmm. There's a lot less of this collaborative effort going on in the cross-functional team.
1: Yeah, it's hard. It's hard, especially the more it's hard, the more stakeholders you have, right? Because all of a sudden, what was a conversation between a couple of people who trusted each other really well is actually now a conversation with a lot of people who have roles and domains and different sensitivities.
2: And again, we're going back to the the trust thing. And I think you said, it. you know, this is so important. And as you're bringing up again, I'm really seeing the value in building this trust with everyone on the team, especially the cross-functional roles as well. And I think that giving, setting, like you said, a specific time or really in investing in this trust, building the uh, trust in this relationship is something so important. Yeah. And, and also, I think
0: now it brings into one of the subjects I wanted to talk to you about, and that's like, seating arrangements in a growing <laughs> team. Um, we have a design team also. Mm-hmm. Like, you've got a design team of 10 designers, but each are sitting with their, like, product teams, right? Yeah. So you believe in this. D- do you think it works, like, with everybody, like, sitting together, like, engineers, with designers, with PMs, with UX researchers and such?
1: So this is where my personal biases come into play. I think designers work better in groups okay, of designers. Okay. Right. In flux. In <laughs> flux, yes. We, we are, her- designers are herd animals. Um, <laughs> we
0: like our silly design posters. D- 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 yeah,
1: we do. <laughs> yeah. Um, we make jokes that nobody else gets about kerning. <laughs> 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 yeah. And other people make jokes about us and our sensitivity to comic sans. Um, so I prefer for designers to sit with other designers but I want the. I also still prefer them to be close to their product team. So this is a question of scale. Yeah. Right. If you have three designers, and they're each serving their own product team, then they should probably be sitting together. Mm-hmm. Because if you have a designer that's sitting off with the product team and they are alone and isolated and don't have another designer that they can lean on, <laughs> um, yeah. that feels not so good, right? Yeah. So, but if you have a team of ten. Or maybe 20 <laughs> and you have three people per product team yeah then you can have the designers sitting together with their product teams right yeah okay does that make sense
0: yeah yeah i think it makes complete sense because now we're in the kind of situation where we're switching rooms because mm-hmm. we're growing so rapidly we took another floor in our building and and the question is now should the, should the designers sit together or not and one of the things I wanted was for the designers to, to sit together. But then again, um, like uh, my, my boss, the Vivi product mm-hmm. Benjamin, he came to me and he's like, "Listen, you know, we are trying to work. Great companies work, and we're talking to Facebook. And you know, at Facebook they sit together, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I, I know that. I actually have been to Facebook, and I see them sitting together in their agile teams." So. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe we should see it in the, in the team, in the product team themselves. But now what you're saying makes complete sense.
1: It's hard being the only designer on a project. Yeah. When you feel like nobody's got their, got your back and you don't have another designer to rely on to like get a second opinion. So finding a way to scale so that you've got more than one person per project. And this is actually something that my team has been struggling with um, mm-hmm. because we have so many different projects. Finding a way to have more than one designer on a project is important. Something that we tried for a little while was something that uh, one of my my designers suggested called design understudies, mm-hmm. where you're the 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 lead designer on the project, but then you have another designer that you kind of share your work with, even if they're not on the project. So they have a little more context than most of the other design, than most of the rest of the design team, mm-hmm. and you have someone who can back you up if you need it or fill in for you if you get sick. That kind of helped alleviate some of the isolation, but it also only lasted for a little while because it was a lot of work. Yeah. Right. So it requires commitment to make that still work. Yeah. We sit so core growth design sits together, but we sit like it's all all of Facebook is open floor plan, um as you know. Uh so mm-hmm. we sit in a pod together, but we also still sit near our product teams.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the product teams, they do <laughs> sit together, the engineers with the product managers, like they sit together
1: I mean, yeah. largely, it's not nobody's... T- so the product teams are big enough that you can't fit them all in one little pot of desks. Yeah. So there is some distribution, but we're all within the same basic area of the building that we're in. Okay. The but same, like, Yeah.
0: room. Yeah. Yeah. and and But, like, let's say, like, engineers, do they sit together or... or yeah, integrate? usually. Yeah, together? Okay. Yeah. And I, we have about 10 minutes to wrap this up. Yeah. So I'm gonna ask... Just two more questions, I guess. Um, One is I want to go back to the routines that you have as a design manager with Mm -hmm. your designers. What are the routines? What are the meetings that you have together right now? um, And what works for you?
1: Okay. So first of all, let's talk about what what I believe our job as design managers is, which is our design is to create the conditions that make good design possible, Mm -hmm. right? So... What are the conditions that make good design possible? One is trust, right? Two is understanding what the hell you need to do. <laughs> Three is having good thought partners, cross-functional thought partners. Four is having just enough process. So we have our morning, uh, w- Monday morning coffee sink, which is part of building that trust and mm. feeling like we're a cohesive team and just liking who we're around. Because if you like the people you work with, you're going to, go do, you're going to weather hard times much better. Mm-hmm. Then, how do we get our designs to the to the? How do we get our designs better faster? Is critique right? And yep. right now we have those two biweekly critiques that we're reconsidering. Mm-hmm. Um, like there are lots of different ways that we might end up slicing this. Maybe we'll have Tuesday critiques be with smaller teams, and then Thursday be with the larger group. Or maybe it's always going to be smaller teams. Not sure where that's going to land yet. Okay. Other, I know that other design teams at Facebook. So I think the Messenger team has critiques daily, and some design teams have critiques weekly. Um, But biweekly has been what's working for us up until recently. Uh We also have, I have one-on-ones with everyone per week, half an hour. Okay. Because that's like, you need time that's set aside to talk about problems, issues, hopes, dreams, (laughs) uh, career development. Like also the soft and squishy stuff that actually really matters in your work-life happiness. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, how are you feeling about this project? Yeah. Like, what's your gut telling you? Is your gut telling you that we're on the right track or is your gut telling you that we're headed for a nightmare? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what's going on and see if there's anything that's actionable in there. And if you don't have time carved aside to have those kind of conversations, you won't have them because they're hard. Yeah.
0: No, actually, actually I have one hour with every designer but now we're a small team so yeah we'll have half an hour i guess
1: (laughs) (laughs) i would love to have one hour with everyone but at this point that's we're at half an hour so Mm -hmm. i'm hoping that maybe we'll be able to change that this year Mm -hmm. but um so then probably on like a quarterly or every half basis we go out together um for like a um a team dinner or a team off-site okay i think those are fun yeah Uh, they're also expensive though so we have to be careful (laughs) with them. (laughs) Yeah. And then from there, um, each of the product sub teams, like not the design team, but the product sub teams have their own set of weekly meetings. Mm -hmm. So I don't think the design team should be super heavy in terms of meetings on its own Mm -hmm. because folks need time to get their work done and they need time to meet with their product teams. Um, Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Also, uh, every quarter, once we're done with roadmaps, I try to um, get everyone to document the tasks and projects that they're taking on for their domain. And start giving, start doing those esti- those tests of estimation. When do you think this is going to be done by? Do you think this is going to be hard, easy, mm-hmm. medium? How do we set the expectations with the engineering team for like when we should have this done? Which usually means like talking to the engineering team about sequencing too. Like, should we take this on first, second, last? Do you need this at by the end of the quarter? Do you need it right away? And let's negotiate when we should get it done. But ultimately, I want the designers to be having those conversations with the product team, not me. And then we can go over the results together.
2: Um, Uh, Talking about that relationship with the engineering team. Yeah. How is that working? You're giving designs to the engineering team at a date that the designer specifies and then development begins. Then what? It
1: it doesn't. That sounds rather waterfally, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) So, again, different teams can work in different ways. If you're collaborating really closely with an engineer or you even like sometimes you don't necessarily know what engineer is going to be taking on a project. So uh, if you're collaborating really closely with an engineer, maybe all you need to do is sketch out some uh, designs on a whiteboard and then maybe uh, then you can agree on the pieces that you need to get done soon and uh, stuff that the engineer can begin building right away even though they don't have assets or they don't have final high fidelity mocks. Other times, uh, if you're developing something that's got a lot of um, animations or tricky, um, tricky interactions, you probably need to invest in some prototyping before you actually go to, to code. So that can take longer. Usually there's infrastructure that needs to be plumbed for a new feature anyway. So ideally you're talking to the developer and they have infrastructure that they can go build while you're working on the surface.
2: Cool. Okay. So it's very iterative. Yeah,
1: it should be. It's not always. Okay. Like we're not, I don't want to give you the impression that we're perfect (laughs) because we are not, we are not by any stretch of the imagination. So another part of the, the role, the role that design managers play is going to solve problems when things break, Mm -hmm. right? When the process is not working very efficiently or when issues come up between expectations like. Um, something hasn't been delivered in time or the urgency level between design and engineering and PM doesn't match up. Um, So sometimes this consensus needs to be driven between that to make
2: it all work. I think this goes back to what you were saying before about just enough process. Yes. One of of the issues that I'm realizing just now that I think that we do is uh, we say that the development begins only when the design is complete. And the original reason for that is because, we want to make sure that it was thought out enough and that we're not going to start investing, you know, tons of development time or, or tons of time in general into something that isn't fully baked. But as, as I think what you're suggesting is that that's not the way to do it. It should be a collaborative effort the whole way through.
1: When was the last time you designed something that didn't have a problem when it hit development? Definitely,
2: yeah. Right,
1: right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So if you spend all that time up front meticulously crafting a design that hits technical issues in development you're going to have to redesign parts of it anyways mm-hmm. so it seems better for you and the engineer to start working together once you have a sense of the direction where you're going the engineer should start doing some implementation and you start doing some design together and then when the engineer starts hitting technical problems you can modify as you go along as opposed to in a waterfall process you should have been done yeah, and you should have moved on to the next project and suddenly when issues are hit during engineering, you have to interrupt the project that you're supposed to be working on to go back and work on that other project. If you instead expect iteration for each project within the, the, the normal cycle, then you're going to build extra time for yourself into your estimations. And also you get to know your coworkers a lot better. You're not just throwing designs over the wall like, here's my beautiful, perfect design. You better implement it the right way. Instead you're like, we are problem solvers together. The entire product is our responsibility, and we need to work together to make sure the outcome is good.
2: I think this really comes into play when you're talking about um, doing responsive designs. Oh yeah, tweaks at the end. We're always having this issue where build uh, the, the design is finished, development uh, starts, and there's a kind of general idea of what to do with uh, with the responsive design, but then. Oh man, we didn't think about the fact that this thing collapses and suddenly there's this other Mm -hmm. long dynamic (laughs) uh, body of text that we don't know what to do with.
1: We totally missed this edge case and oh shit, this is (laughs) happening here. And like, like, yeah, if you, if you expect iteration, then you roll with those. If you expect it to be done, then it's frustrating.
2: So it's about setting expectations for the whole team that the iteration is okay. It's not a mistake. It's,
1: this is the, the natural process. part of software development, yes.
2: But, but more than even the software, it's, or at least more Problem than the solving. development side. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's the whole process from beginning to end is okay to go backwards. You're not really going yeah. backwards, you're just iterating again.
1: Put another way, you never know everything at the beginning of the project. Mm-hmm. In fact, you never know everything at the end of the project. <laughs> <laughs> right. <Exactly. laughs> Assume that you're going to be wrong. <laughs>
0: and and how are like deadlines treated if they're late i, I had situations where uh, the, like the product team was late yeah. and everyone on top from the management like the the vp very angry <laughs> yeah like they're furious and i like, get your shit done and then w- the p- what happened is the mvp that i got out was half baked uh, in terms right. of uh, me as a designer us as designers no right like yeah. uh, then the, some specific features which could have taken like 2 weeks to create mm-hmm. were not there and we were totally bummed about it so i know we have to compromise as like as designers we always have to compromise what we think is the mvp like yep. mvpp like MVP, we're proud of, and uh, we have to compromise on that. Uh, but the specific things that we think of as standards for design, which the deadlines don't let us meet, uh, how do you handle that?
1: Why were you late?
0: Uh, we were all late, like in the product team, I guess, because.
3: Uh,
1: Worth thing. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I, I wasn't late. I just want to say that first.
2: <laughs> I'm getting
3: accused here of something. Okay, wh- what? In a perfect <laughs> waterfall, that is <laughs> ne- 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 <laughs> never late. I'm not the last person to touch <laughs> the product, so it's never my fault. Um, I, I think that we learned, in a way, the hard way that you you can set a deadline in advance. You can plan the whole quarter in advance. You can have, let's say, we have six projects to do and each one's going to take four weeks, whatever it is. Right. But you learn the hard way when you release something by deadline and not by product um, expectations or quality or value. And then you see a bad product. Everybody gets very, very mad. And then you learn that that's not the way to do it and that we can compromise our part of the side design-wise to make it fit into whatever constraints we have. But it has to have value or it has to work. And that the the price of releasing something that doesn't work, Mm -hmm. even if it's on time, means nothing. You better take off another month and work on it and make it perfect or make it better.
1: So let me ask a different question. When did you know you were going to be late, as a product team?
3: I think it depends who you ask. I think a lot of times you get a project where just the scope of it.
1: On this pro so I- on this project, what did you? When did you know you were going to be late?
0: A bit of context. I just stole notes. Uh, Mike, uh, Noam and David were together on the same product team, so <laughs> it's it's a great case because they're together on the same product team, and this is one of the best. Like I guess, uh, w- although it was late, it's one of the best uh, features that we ever released in similar mm-hmm. Uh It's called custom dashboards. We're talking about specific case, yeah. so you can let David explain why he was late.
2: <laughs> <laughs> actually, actually, I, actually, I think I have some good insight into it. I think the reason that we were quote unquote late is because we don't give enough our 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 expectations were not there for the iterative process. Right. I think that we weren't actually late on getting the task done the first time. Yeah. And we didn't allow the time.
1: But you learned something, right? Mm-hmm, definitely. And you you something was unexpected and you had to change your plans.
2: Definitely. I, and more than that that it's okay mm-hmm. to expect the unexpected is something we're not doing now. Right. We're what we the problem is we're treating every unexpected or every edge case that we didn't plan for as a mistake, as a yep. failure.
1: Let's talk about why management was mad at you for being late. (laughs) When did they learn that you were going to be
2: late? Probably not early enough. Right?
1: So generally speaking, the best way to manage up is to be very transparent about what you're doing and very transparent about the process. Right? So as soon as you start thinking, "Uh, hey, you guys, we've hit some snags. And this might put the project at risk for the deadline that we had originally hit. We think that the best option here to build the right product is to keep marching even though it might make it, it might extend our deadline. But if you feel that the deadline is more important than this particular feature or that particular feature then let 's discuss and negotiate right That is a way to manage upwards with management
2: that's exactly that terminology is I think i 'm going to uh, copy and paste that in my head. use that exact terminology again in the next situation
1: okay so so here as a, as a manager, where i don 't want to find out that you 're late is the deadline. Mm-hmm. Right. If I understand what you're going through, if I understand the problems that you're hitting and I can adjust my expectations far enough advance in advance that I can change my marketing plan. I can I can decide whether or not to um, launch this other thing that I was strategically planning to launch at the same time, then we're probably okay, Right. I might have some harsh words for you about why you didn't know your shit but hopefully I wouldn't, hopefully I would be like, okay, well we've learned something now, right? You know, now maybe we'll take this into account for the next project, but, um, at least I'll be able to modify my understanding of things.
2: Right. Wow. This has been amazingly insightful and, uh, really thank you. I think, uh, we're nearing the end, so we have to start wrapping it up, but any, um, kind of final words of wisdom you want to give us?
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're all learning how to do this. No project is the same. I've said this before to other people, I don't think anybody actually knows how to make software. Like I've never seen a process be 100% repeatable every time. So we're problem solvers by nature, right? If we're in software, we're problem solvers by nature. And part of what we're solving is the teams that we're building and the process that we're using to get to where we're trying to go. If you treat everything as a problem to be solved, you're gonna do well. If you treat process or people or teams as dogma, or as something that has come down from on high that cannot be touched you're not going to do well.
0: Okay. So. I think it's a lot of about also the you know coming up uh, or coming down from the VP uh, or even the CEO themselves like treating that as a legitimate thing for the let's say the, the bottom most workers to come up and say hey like let's discuss those deadlines yeah. and and treating them with respect as well like I think it's super important.
1: In in Israel, do you have a saying that's similar to what we have in the U.S., where when you have a law, you have the spirit and the letter of the law?
0: Do we have that? I I don't think. We don't have laws in Israel. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: So so in the U.S., we have this idea of the spirit and the letter of the law. The letter of the law is what was written. Mm -hmm. The spirit is why the law was written. Mm -hmm. So when you have an executive ask something that's coming down from you, from your CEO or your management, you need to listen to both. You need to listen to the spirit of what the CEO is trying to do,
2: mm-hmm.
1: their strategic goals, and then you need to listen to the letter of what they've specifically said that you need to execute on. Okay. If what they have specifically said that you need to execute on is not doable, not possible, or maybe not going to present the, not to uh, produce the outcome that is the spirit, mm-hmm. then you should talk to them, yeah. right? Yeah. talk to them about how to accomplish the spirit
0: okay cool so <laughs> we really really have to wrap this up <laughs> let's go into bonus time is that okay yeah that's uh, fine okay bonus time all right now you start
3: regarding like scaling a design team i was wondering in, in facebook when you do scale a team from five to ten besides the fact that probably everybody who comes to work with you guys are am- amazing designers what else do you look for like personality wise or how do you fit somebody into a team? that adds an extra benefit or regarding, not just the design part of the person.
1: That's a great question. And part of what we've done is made for, so made for a pretty consistent hiring process. So when you're hiring at scale, sometimes you are interviewing people that are not for your team, they're for somebody else's team. And it's really easy to fall into the trap of this person seems like a really nice person and they seem like they have promise. I'm going to hire their potential, but not their current actuality, which is sort of a good hiring practice, except if you yourself don't actually want to take on the burden of training that person or of working with that person until they're at their full capacity. Right? So we have a couple of things that we do at the end of a interview debrief. One of which is say, is ask each other, okay, do you want this person? Would you work with this person on your team? Would you welcome this person onto your team? So that question can encompass a lot of different ideas like is this person somebody that i would actually feel comfortable working with interpersonally or is the investment necessary in this person to get them to the point where they'll be productive uh something that i'd be willing to do myself right but we all carry inherent bias right? right unconscious bias so Another key part of the interviewing process is to ask ourselves at the end of the interview, are there any ways that I might be biased against this person? Are there any things that might be influencing my feelings about this person as a designer or as someone on my team? So that can kind of balance some of that out. um, As humans, we have a tendency to hire people who are like us. And that is a disservice to your team. You want diversity. You want people who are not just uh, the typical designer stereotype with the trendy glasses and the hip footwear and right. the, you know, <laughs> you need people who come out from outside of that realm and we bring... have so many
3: hipsters in one room. Right. <laughs>
1: right. So you want to make sure you don't fall in that trap.
3: Right. Yeah. All right. Thank you. My
0: question is about core values of the design team. Yeah. I'm right now assembling, uh, I'm creating this kind of presentation of what is the similar web design team yeah. and. I'm thinking about core values and goals. Um, Do you have that anywhere written down?
1: We have so many core values. We print out posters and put them on the wall. (laughs)
0: Hack,
1: (laughs) hack, hack, (laughs) hack, hack. hack, This this room that we're in here right now is like one of the few that don't have like, what would you do if you weren't afraid on it? Uh Or fail harder, (laughs) right? So we have lots of different principles, especially at Facebook as guiding principles.
0: For the design team?
1: For everybody. Okay. Um, and then as a design team, like we have to think about being the advocate for our users. We also have to think about the way, the process when, with with which we work mm-hmm. um, and the way we interact with the rest of the team. Like ultimately we're problem solvers, right? Yes. I don't have a good list for you about philosophy <laughs> that's like very specific to the design team. Okay. But on any given day, I could probably write down a bunch of different things and like <laughs> no, okay, be but my philosophy no, like, for the day. <laughs> yeah. But
0: there's no like written methodology of the design team and how they function how they interact with the rest of the team. Not really. Okay. And that brings me to my next and final question. Product designer at Facebook. what are the responsibilities and let's say a feature is given and how do how does the team work and where does the product designer what is his responsibilities
1: (laughs) one last question that could Uh, be an all day discussion yeah Yeah, it has to be short I I know okay as a product designer your your job is to distill complex problems into simple and usable product experiences that serve facebook's billions you know 1.5 billion users right Mm -hmm. in a way that is functional and delightful okay put in our very simple way it's ship love right Uh, which is like is it um is it valuable is it delightful Mm -hmm. is it well crafted
0: Mm -hmm. melissa thank you so much that was amazing uh very insightful for all of us right
2: yeah. definitely thank, thank you thank really. you very
1: much this has been really fun thank you for uh, letting me talk to you today
0: <laughs> thank you very much and um, I hope to see you again uh, you know we we'll hope to see you again soon maybe in San Fran next time
1: absolutely <laughs> <laughs>
0: alright so that wraps episode number three of the Hacking UI podcast Scaling and Design Team thank you all for being with us for any comments or questions you can contact us by our Facebook group or by Twitter at Hacking UI we hope you enjoyed please if you re- enjoyed review us on iTunes it, mean, it will mean the world to us. And see you next time. Hey, everybody. What's up? So if you enjoyed this episode, I'm very happy. And you're welcome to listen to the rest of the episodes of the Hacking UI podcast. I just want to let you know that this is a legacy podcast, meaning... David and I are no longer creating new episodes for this specific podcast. David and I are working on different businesses now, so just wanted to let you know that first of all, if you want to catch David, you can check out Thought Leaders and that's what he's working on, thoughtleaders.io. And if you want to check out what I'm working on, I have a new podcast. It's called Creativepreneur, the Creativepreneur show with Sagi Schreiber, and you would be able to find that on iTunes and any podcast app and I would invite you to come and listen and that's where I interview people that have built a lifestyle business out of their skills and passions. It's amazing. I interview so many different people that have amazing stories and will help you with your business, will help you with your skills, taking your skills to the next level and achieving higher goals. So if you're interested in that, I'm there, The Creativepreneur Show and you can check it out also on YouTube and you can also just go to creativepreneurmagazine.com or createapreneur.show. I hope to see you around.